So one of the biggest starting out points for me was really, you know, just trying everything, trying new things, risk taking, and just letting my creativity run wild. That was the biggest thing for me that really jump-started my innovation journey. And then soon I started to realize that I shouldn't be limiting myself to what's already out there. What if I can create a new sport? What if I can, you know, write a new Broadway play? What if I can do something new and something different that nobody has seen before? And that's really where my innovation idea came in, that outside-of-the-box thinking. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Inner Wealth, the Forbes Ignite podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal, CEO of Forbes Ignite. And every week I'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique, creative, and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Gitanjali Rao, a 15-year-old science prodigy who is currently starting her sophomore year at STEM School Highlands Ranch in Colorado. She won the Discovery Education 3M Young Scientist Challenge for her invention called Tethys and is a Forbes 30 under 30 list maker in science. I love talking with Gitanjali because she's infinitely curious and such a breath of fresh air. She's incredibly passionate while still remaining so humble about her achievements. We talk about everything from creativity and science to preventing cyberbullying among teenagers. My conversations with Gitanjali always put a smile on my face because she inspires me and other women in the world to put their ideas to work and make an impact. I know you'll love what she has to say. Here's our chat. Thank you so much, Anjali, for joining. And it's always so great catching up with you. I was very eager to speak with you because you have so much going on, so many projects, so little time. <laughs> so yeah, uh, how's, how's everything going? How's the school year going on for you? Um, everything is going awesome. I'm super excited for this year that is coming up. Um, the school year just started and I really think, um, you know, I really like to look at the positive side on things. So um, I'm kind of excited to see how this virtual format takes us and kind of the breakthroughs that come out of it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because I heard that you're talking about going to a hybrid model. And I'm glad to hear that you're totally comfortable with an all virtual model, which, which seemingly almost, I would say 90% of us are going through right now. And so yeah, I'm really curious to see what the next quarter shapes out for you. uh, what, What that looks like for you in the next couple of quarters or so. Another reason why I'm always so eager to speak with you is because not only all our all of our conversations so refreshing, but you are so incredibly humble as well. <laughs> I, I always like to say, wow, Anjali, it's such, it's so amazing because it's just the beginning for you, but you've been at this for quite a number of years already. So take me through your story, take me through your journey because uh, I know this, but I feel like a lot of people don't know your origin story of how you, you got started with inventing and your passion for science in general. Yeah, so it really wasn't a aha moment or a moment where I would said, you know, I really want STEM or science to be something I pursue in the future. It was more of like a continuous learning experience and growth, kind of growing onto that idea of STEM and science. Around that time, I also was starting to get introduced to female scientists like Marie Curie and her amazing work in the field of 
like breakthroughs as well as just putting others lives before herself and it was personally inspiring for me to hear stories like that so i combined the two and as i started to keep going i use science and technology as a catalyst for social change i use science and tech to think outside the box to come up with creative solutions and that's really where i am right now using these different methods to create change in today's world i love that so essentially i'm right there with you Using creativity for social change is such a beautiful, beautiful concept because it's all about risk-taking too. I know we had a previous conversation and you were talking about taking risks. And I mean, you're one of the few people who I know who actually has learned how to fly a plane. Is that right? You've learned how to fly a plane and land the plane at least. <laughs> that is correct. I'm currently working on um, soloing a glider, which is like an airplane where, which doesn't have an engine. So it's pretty interesting. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and um, yeah, another reason why I wanted to speak with you is because we're working together on a project called the Empathy Shark Tank. And so what is that exactly? And how do you see that and envision that playing out in your school? Yeah, so Empathy Shark Tank is really, it's it's a new and unconventional way to take team building and, you know, connections to the next level. So as part of the Forbes Ignite Knowledge Network, uh, I've been working to set up this new idea of a planned team building session among employees of an organization or teachers in a school to come up with innovative ideas and professional development goals that leadership can engage in. So instead of it being a continuous process of, hey, you're going to set three long-term goals for yourself and three short-term goals and see you know, how you get them done. It's more of a different method in which people set goals for each other, people they've either been working with for years or people that are new to this company. No matter who they are, they're starting to get to know them and understand their professional and personal goals and really what they want to see in their own growth in the future. So I'm really excited to see how this plays out in the school that we're piloting it in, which is my current high school, STEM school, Highlands Ranch. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see all this new side of things, all the faculty, um, you know, coming together, solving problems in a new and unconventional way, which I've never really seen Mm -hmm. before. No, I'm really excited to see how it pans out too, because it's a perfect activity for new people to be onboarded, but it's also a way to really give a refreshed perspective for those who have been teaching there for years. And like I said before, it's not just for faculty only, it's not just constrained to one specific type of person within your school. It's also really relevant for the students because students are focused on student things during during the day and during their school year. And the, presumably the faculty is very much used to being in that position where it's very much, I'm going to give you a grade, here it is, and there's no other interaction. But the empathy shark tank, as the name implies, really allows people to be empathetic toward one another and really define their goals so that they can actually empathize with those goals. And there's a lot of cross-pollination here because the reason why this, this pilot is so beautiful is because it could actually be applied toward organizations. I love that. And I'm really excited to see how this pilot actually pans out. Tell me about some of the other projects you're working on. I know that I was very honored to attend your launch of Kindly. So I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, so Kindly is a service to detect and prevent cyberbullying at an early stage based on the latest developments in natural language processing and understanding. So basically what that means is it's a safer, I guess, safer internet for students all around the world to use. One of the biggest things that I've seen in current technological solutions that try to achieve this goal is it's the first steps that they take is punishing the bully or, you know, reporting the bully. And while Kindly is able to do that in the long run, it provides a more short-term output of allowing the bully to rethink what they typed out. Because as a teenager, I know other teens tend to latch out. And that's exactly the message I'm trying to get across. Kindly is a service by a teenager for a teenager. So it's almost like this new level of personal connection that you've never really seen before. Right. And I know you say that it's by teenagers for teenagers, but really a lot of adults could stand to use this as well. They're, we could all benefit from a safer internet and words really do matter. Words definitely matter. And Kindly is is such an amazing project that you're that you're launching because there's a lot of people that, um, I mean, there's a lot of fear that gets really intertwined with language in the internet. There's a lot of really heavy dialogue that's going on. And if we can't feel psychologically safe to, to have dialogue with one another in a way where we're exploring each other's differences without having to have a heightened sense of, um, I would say caution that really prevents people from not just empathizing, but also just learning how to be a better human being. No, I totally agree. I um, I love that, just knowing how to be a better human being. And it is, it is something that everyone can use. Words do yeah. matter. No, absolutely. And tell me a little bit more about how you came up with the, the whole concept for Kindly. What inspired you? So there's all sorts of news articles that you've probably seen um, about cyberbullying, the world of bullying, um, the fact that students are getting bullied and it's it's tons and tons of them. And it's unbelievable that, you know, the internet is supposed to be a place where we can express our opinions freely and we don't have to worry about getting that backlash. And if that also becomes unsafe, it's that's just another place that teenagers can really express their thoughts and that goes down the drain too. I've seen multiple reports of students, especially girls who are being cyberbullied and they're affected by not being able to go to school or, you know, not being socially anxious about everything, as well as even some taking their life. And personally, living in Colorado, we have the highest rate of teen suicides and most of them are due to cyberbullying. So it is a scary thought knowing that if that does happen, it might be too late to stop it. And I really don't want it to be too late. I want it to be something that is preventative so that you can identify a bullying act before it even occurs. You can help people who need that help and on both sides. And I really think that if Kindly is able to do that, if we can save one person from cyberbullying, if we can save one person from committing suicide, then Kindly has made mm -hmm. a difference. So it's a proactive solution, you would say, to to preventing what otherwise might happen if someone were not to receive that type of help that they need. Because it's one thing to have all the resources that are out there for suicide prevention and for anti-bullying campaigns, but 
sometimes it really it's really difficult for someone to reach out for help. And this solution actually solves that challenge by being more proactive about its approach. I think that's really insightful and that's really amazing. So I, if, if someone hasn't told you today, I want to say thank you for doing this. <laughs> thank you. So tell me more about how girls are getting more affected by cyberbullying. No, I think it's it's just something that I've always seen as like a normal is girls are more inferior or more sensitive. And that's something that, you know, it could be considered a stereotype, but it could also be considered true based on, you know, the research out there or the scientific facts. So I think that the reason that girls are really seeing that cyberbullying affect them more is because it's hard. It's hard when you have this community of people, which you don't feel safe to be able to talk to and, you know, express your thoughts. Um, There are times when, you know, you try to hold all your emotions inside of you and they all explode at one time. And that's the hardest thing. And just like you were saying, it is one thing to have those resources, but it's another thing to use them. And I think that's really where it's happening is people, people aren't sure when to use those resources. People aren't sure what the repercussions of those resources will be. People aren't sure how they're going to be treated in school if they use those resources. There's all sorts of things that come into play with the developments in technology as well as, you know, this new society that we're living in with the new generation. There's acceptance in schools, acceptance in, you know, outside places. And if you are being bullied, hey, maybe that means you're not accepted at school. And that's, that's not the life that someone should be living. They should feel comfortable to be in their own bodies, to be in their own mind and think the way they want to. So there's this unfortunate stigma that's still lingering in terms of if you ask for help, then that means presumably you're, you're either weak or you can't handle um, what what life is throwing at you. But really, we really shouldn't be normalizing the bullying or cyberbullying and diminishing of women that are out there. And especially for young women, these are some really crucial developmental years. And I think your solution, specifically with Kindly, is a point of intervention that a lot of young women and a lot of and a lot of young teenagers could stand to use as well. So it's really, there's a lot of different use cases here. And the reason why I feel like it's so important, especially for adults as well, is so that you're not inadvertently diminishing somebody else when when you don't know that you are. Because a lot of times um, it's one thing to know. It's one thing to know what you're intentionally doing. And there's a lot of unintentional um, dialogue that's happening out there too. So I really love what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I totally agree with your idea of it's one thing to know and it's another thing to in, not know. Like maybe uh, maybe the message I'm trying to get across isn't intended to be mean. And that's really what the non-punitive aspect of Kindly is trying to do is, is this really what you were trying to say? Because it can come across as a rude message, hopefully allowing teenagers to think about what they're exactly. typing out. Exactly. So how does it work? When, when I was testing it out, it kind of reminded me of Grammarly, you know, how it kind of catches your language and it'll underline either a misspelled word. How does kindly work? That is actually a common, um, I guess, comparison that I use. It is similar to Grammarly in the way that instead of a spell checker, it is a like 
kind word checker or a language checker. So one of the, it's actually based on an artificial intelligence algorithm in the background. So what has happened there is I've inputted a variety of different intents, which are categories like bullying, teasing, ignore, um, you know, nice messages, and they all have different weightings per se. And each one of them, I started by adding four or five different phrases or terms or even long paragraphs that um, could be considered all bullying or all nice or all teasing. And then it's up to the AI engine to figure it out by itself. It takes those words, learns from them and knows, hey, there's like similar words. If you think about it, similar to like the C also feature in a dictionary is um, it's very similar to that. So it knows that you are ugly is a bullying message because that's what I input it in. It also knows that based on that, you are fat is also a bullying message or you are you know, not cool is also maybe a bullying or a teasing message. It That's the job of the AI engine. On the front end, what you see is a front end app as well as a Google Chrome extension. And you can type out a message just like you would normally send it. And if it is a potential cyberbullying message, it'll gives you the option to either edit or ignore it. Edit meaning that you can go in and take a look at it, which means it's classified under the teasing or insult intent. And, um, or you can ignore it, which means it still sends it. If you think that, you know, this, I believe that this is what the message I'm trying to get across. Um, but if it is not potential, it is, it is cyberbullying um, based on the AI engine. It does not give you the option to ignore it, but instead requires that you edit it in some way um, before you send it out. And it checks it every time that you edit the message so that you're able to see and you're able to understand, hey, maybe I'm still coming across too harsh. No, that's great. And so each and every time a correction happens, the AI algorithm is learning contextually what might be bucketed as teasing, ignoring, or really just generally being mean-spirited. And I'm really excited to see what behavioral patterns that you might find just by more use of Kindly. So that's really, really exciting. Yeah, thank you. So I also understand that you're writing a book and I'm really excited to hear more about it. Yeah, so currently I have basically developed this prescriptive process to uh, allow students to kind of get their questions answered. And it's something that worked for me. So I'd like to share that process, uh, which regularly demonstrates to middle schoolers and high schoolers um, and help them out in places that they would normally get stuck or give up or places that I normally got stuck and I almost gave up in. So for example, how do they start the innovation process? What happens when they can't come up with a good idea and what even is a good idea. So I used to write in various forums about the topics of innovation, the role of girls in STEM, et cetera, to promote these ideas that I'm passionate about. But now I've decided to kind of take my own path along this. And I'm also currently writing a book slated for release in September of 2021, which provides a prescriptive guide for students to get those questions answered and do much more. Um, so it's very, very, it's more of like, it has ideas of inspiration in there, putting like giving them some, you know, people out there and some crazy cool ideas, but it also gives them ways that they can do it and ways that, you know, in a, in a book that nobody has ever seen before, like a prescriptive process that they can use that teachers and educators can use and families can use to help get students involved. Amazing. So it's not just for students, but, but it's for 
anyone who wants to either invent or to just generally be more innovative. I totally agree. Yeah, it includes lesson plans as well as workspaces to um, allow teachers to kind of, you know, influence a whole group of Gen Z or a whole group of students at once. That's amazing. Do you ever imagine yourself being a teacher one day? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I know that whatever I am going to be doing, there's always going to be some sort of like speaking aspect, running lessons, like doing master classes. I find that so, so encouraging and so exciting. I don't know if I could see myself doing that every single day, but I can tell you that there is definitely a high chance of me um, running some sort of cool class or a session. That's really cool. Do you happen to watch the Masterclass series too? I haven't watched one in a while, but I've watched so many YouTube videos about, you know, Masterclasses. And one of my, some of my favorites are like the cooking ones too. And I'm a huge fan of like HGTV or Food Network. I'll be watching everything, just learning new skills and new concepts. And I think that's the beauty of something like innovation. Like it's not a one-time thing. Exactly. Like you can't, you can't just, there's not one meal that we all eat. There's like millions and millions of combinations that we can make. So it's, it's not like one thing you can innovate or one way to innovate. There's so many different ways to do it. And that's the beauty of teaching a lesson or teaching a masterclass. You can bring something and offer something new every time. Yeah, I love that. It's really, there's so many different configurations when it comes to innovating. And it's not a one hit wonder type of deal. It's a continual process, and that's why I'm so excited about your book. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm pretty excited about it, too, and seeing, you know, what people think of it. And hopefully if that, it's more than, you know, them coming up with a one-hit wonder, they take that innovation process and do something amazing with it. Yeah. And so we're, I'm going to bring it back to the basics right now. I'm going to bring it back to where it all started. I know that you won the 3M Discovery Challenge, if I'm getting it correctly. And also you started inventing when you were in the second grade. So tell me more about that. Yeah. So in the second grade, I came up with my first invention, which is a chair that goes underground to save space, especially on the International Space Station. And I did not make it work. Unfortunately, my parents did not let me dig a hole in the ground <laughs> and put all of our dining room furniture in it. But it was more of like a prototype or an idea that I always had in mind. It was like the flip of a switch, you know, everything, everything goes down so that you have more space to do whatever you need to do on the ISS. And it was so cool to me that I could create my own things. And I stuck with that. I decided to keep going with that. In 2017, I created my first working, I guess, prototype, which is called Tethys, helps detect lead in drinking water faster and cheaper than current methods out there today. So it was originally a hollow box with wire sticking out of the back. And I loved it. It was like something I had created. I had spent so much time working on and it was there. Like I was sitting in my hands. And at that point I was like, you know what? I want someone to tell me what I could have done better with this or what I can do to improve this, what I can do to take those next steps. So I applied to the discovery education 3M young scientist challenge. And I got a call a couple months later telling me that I was selected as one of the top 10 finalists, wow. which was a dream come true. It was like, it was like winning the Nobel Prize for me. It was amazing. And um, it, I had the opportunity to not only 
expand upon my ideas and go compete at the Young Scientist Challenge finals in St. Paul, Minnesota. But I got to work with a 3M scientist mentor for three months, which was amazing. It was, it was like, it was the other side. And I've been spending years and years requesting for people to mentor me and help me out in places where I was getting stuck. And it was like, we're giving you a mentor. You can ask them whatever you want to. And I did that. I took advantage of it. And I spent every week, maybe once or twice getting on Zoom calls or Skype calls. And we we together were able to, you know, get get this working prototype of Tethys, something that actually detects lead in drinking water in three months, which was amazing to me. I went and competed at the Young Scientist Challenge finals um, with on-site challenges in my final presentation and ended up winning the grand prize, which was $25,000 as well as wow. you know, just being part of that family forever. And I guess more than that prize itself, it was, it was the idea of it jump-started everything that I am today. It made me who I am. I can tell you safely that if I had not applied to that competition, I probably wouldn't have, you know, innovating would have been one of my things, like one of the 20 things that I was doing. It wasn't like, it didn't, it was something that I loved, I loved to do, but I never really saw that motivation inside of me to keep doing after I applied, even just the second after I hit that button, I was like, I made a video, I made a device, and I just submitted it to a contest. And I knew it. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And going to the finals, working with a mentor and winning it, it just added more. It was more of that excitement and energy. And I was like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep helping people. I want to keep inventing and coming up with solutions. Um, I want to make new friends in this field. And that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. That's incredible. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank and you. As part of something that you would, I guess a piece of advice that you would tell people who are listening here, who actually want to just think outside of the box and take their first step. It just takes, it's just a matter of starting. It's a matter of getting started. Take that first step. No matter how ridiculous it might seem, everyone starts from somewhere yep. and everyone yeah. learns from an unlikely place of inspiration. And so Anjali, it was such an honor speaking with you, honestly. Thank you so much for providing your insight. And this was a lot of fun. And I really hope we get to do this again. I do too. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal. Thanks for joining us.